Well, our theme is the opposite of the world. <laughs> our theme is open. And that's, uh, uh, that's, and we're, that's our story, and we're sticking to it. We are open. Our Bible has been open, and our heart has been open, and our mouth has been open as we understand the power and the force, how forceful our words are. The words that we speak, the words that come out of our mouth are, are powerful, they're forceful. God created the world with his word, and God said, and God said, and God said. And then we read in the scripture, and thus says the Lord, thus says the Lord, and God says. And so what God has said and what God says is the absolute most important thing in the world. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means ever pass away. I mean, the whole earth would have to move and, and pass away before any word of God would, would fail. What God says is the most important thing in the world. But what you say is like the next most important thing, at least in your world. What are you saying? What do you say? And man, it's what a discipline it requires from each of us when so much is being said, so much fear, so much unkindness, so much uh, judgment. There's so much being said right now and how disciplined we must be to know that every word that I speak is forceful and powerful and life and death are in it. And so sometimes it's just better not to speak until I'm ready to speak life. Life and death are in the power of your words. So what are you speaking? How are you talking? What he says matters most, but what you say matters next. And what you say is significant because Jesus teaches us that your mouth can move a mountain. Jesus shows us that your speech can stop a storm. Your words can create your world, a world of affirmation or a world of defamation. Your words can create an atmosphere of fear. And if you're living in fear, if you're living in that atmosphere, words create the atmosphere, but they can also create a place of grace. Your words are powerful and life-giving. So we're talking about the impact and the force and the power of our tongue and the words that come out of our mouth. And we are now looking at the 10 most powerful words or things that you can say. I believe. You know, when you say I believe, it doesn't make any difference what's going on. It doesn't make any difference how bad it is. It's just all going to get better. That's what happens when you believe. Because I believe for a better day. I believe for a better future. I believe for breakthrough. I believe God is good. I believe God is on the throne. I believe the devil is defeated. When you, when you say, I believe, the sun comes out. 
Because I believe is, is you looking beyond this moment. I believe is you stepping into a future and a hope uh, that you have in God. I believe is such a powerful thing to say. This is and that is, yeah, but I believe and that a better day. You're living in the sunshine of a better day when you can say, I believe. I care. When I declare that I care, I'm saying that life is about more than me and that others matter and that others are important and that my life is about caring for others. Caring is living with an outward focus, not a me focus, but an outward focus. I care. When the good Samaritan cared, the Bible says he felt pity and he knelt beside the stranger. I just love that, that visual, that story Jesus tells. The man was beaten and robbed and he was in such great need. He was literally helpless. He was literally dying. He was bleeding out. And yet the Samaritan comes along and he felt pity and he knelt beside the stranger. And that's what happens when you care. When you care, you're going to feel and you are going to kneel beside someone in need. And when we care, we share. And that's exactly what that Samaritan did. He just began to take what he had. He just began to take what was in his saddle or the, 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 from, from, his, from his possessions. And he began to share. I forgive. Man, this is the key to living in liberty. This is the key to freedom. This is the key to no one ever having power over me. I forgive. No one can ever hurt me so bad that I can't forgive them. Do you know how powerful that is? That's like superpower right there. No one, no one, no one can ever hurt me so bad that I can't forgive them. We read in Colossians 3.13, make allowance for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you, everyone who offends you. Someone's going to offend you, and it's just going to happen. And so you need to already have a default setting when someone offends you, and that is that you are going to make allowances, and you are going to forgive anyone who offends you. And remember, and this is our trigger point in our, in our whole theology of forgiveness, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. It's just like already a foregone thing. No matter what you do, I forgive you. No matter what he did or she did, I forgive them. I do not hold on to it. Jesus said, if you do not forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive you your sins in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14 and 15. Well, man, I can't risk not having my sins forgiven. Unforgiveness causes the root of bitterness. This is what people with unforgiveness live with. They live with bitterness. The root of bitterness brings up a tree of trouble. And the tree of trouble produces the fruit of defilement. If you will be unforgiving, you will be bitter, troubled, and defiled. And unforgiven before God. I mean, that's like the worst deal of the century. So I forgive. Then we talked about I need. And saying I need keeps my heart in a place of humility. I need God. I need you. I need others. Hey, I need the church. I need to be in this building. I need prayer. I need help. I need strength. I need grace. I need forgiveness. I am a sinner and I need a savior. And when I say I need, it just keeps my life 
in perspective, and it keeps my heart from pride. And Lord, do I have a proclivity to pride. And when I say I need, all of the resources of God and man become available to the person who asks and who says, I need. Today, I want to talk about I submit. You know, the Bible teaches us that there is the milk of the word and that there is the meat of the word. Today, we are going to be looking at the meat of God's word. I submit. Now we're going deeper. You see, it's in submission that we truly become totally committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We go from more than just salvation. We move into discipleship when we say, I submit. When I say, I submit, I go from believing in him to becoming like him. In Galatians chapter 4, in verse 19, Paul said, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Christ is formed in you. Formed. How do we go from little children to totally committed disciples of Christ? It's when we can say, I not only like Jesus, I want to be like Jesus. Paul said, until Christ is formed in you. The Greek word for formed is morpho, morpho, and it means to fashion and to form. And of course, the English word morphed comes from it. And the English word morphed means to undergo a process of transformation, to undergo a process of transformation. Man, it is a lot easier to have Christ born in me than to have Christ formed in me. Forming, forming is a process. It's an undergoing, a process of transformation. You know, when precious metals are formed, there's usually a furnace and an anvil to form precious metal. And if I would undergo the process of transformation, then I must be willing to say, I submit. You know, that's what Jesus did. I mean, we know Jesus was God in the flesh, but we know also he came as a baby and he grew up as a child and he came under his parents and he came under his, his uh, teachers. And, and we, we, we know that the, there, let me show you what we read about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8 and 9. Though he was a son, yet he learned. He learned. Learning is a process. And he learned obedience. This is the same Greek word for submission. He learned submission. He learned it. He was a son. But he learned obedience and submission 
by the things he suffered, by the tough things, the hard things, the difficult things, the not so easy stuff. It was in those places and in those things of suffering that he learned obedience, that he learned to submit. And then it says, and having been perfected. In other words, having passed the tests. The word perfected here means, in other words, uh, he became perfected, accomplished, complete. So he completed. He completed the process. Then it says he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Can you see the process that Jesus himself went through? He learned submission, obedience to what he suffered, the the hard times, the hard places. And then he became perfected, graduated, as it were, uh, the transformation accomplished, completed, and then he went on to become the author of eternal salvation. Jesus underwent the process. The things he suffered and the obedience he learned brought him to a place of perfection. When I say, I yield my will, and when I don't get my way, there's usually going to be some suffering involved in that, just from experience. You see, the process of being formed and fashioned might involve some dying and denying of myself. Well, that's fun. Not. And yet there's no other way. We read in Romans 8 and verse 29... For God knew his people in advance and chose them to become like his son. God chose you to become like his son. That's not easy. For a man like me to become a man like him, that's not easy. And yet God chose you and me to become like his son. And I cannot become like his son until I submit and surrender and say, not my will, but your will be done. And I must come under and I must surrender and I must submit to become like him. We read in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. Now I say that the heir... That's, that's, where, where, do we read us, where do we read about the heir in Scripture? We read that you and I are heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Wow. I mean, you're, you're like in the will, like, like the same as Jesus is in the will. We're the heir. We inherit everything. That's us. That's you, and that's me, and that's right now. Now I say that the heir, that's us, as long as he is a child... Oh, that's us too. As long as he is a child, does not differ from a slave. Though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time. It's just a time. It's a temporary time. And it's producing something. Until the time appointed by the Father, that's us. 
We are heirs. We're heirs of everything, but we're children that are growing. And so in that process, we are under. We are servants. We are under until the master. We are under guardians. We are under stewards. We are under parents. We are under, you know, leaders and teachers and all this stuff. We are under until the time appointed by the Father. Now, I want us to look at the surrender and the submission of Christ because Jesus is our goal. When God is forming you and me, the image he has in mind is his son. And so the process of transformation, what God is moving and making is the image of Christ in the, in the personality of me and you. God loves you. He, he likes you. He wants you. He wants you to be you, but he wants to form Christ in the you that you are. And so look at the surrender and the submission of Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, we get these like four most amazing verses that give us deep, deep, deep insight into the Lord Jesus. And here's what it says. Let this mind be in you. You think like this. Some translations say, have this attitude. Let this be your attitude in life. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now watch this. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. How do you go from the highest exalt, most honored, to taking a place of no reputation? Taking the form of a servant, a slave, a bond servant, and coming in the likeness of men. God coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now, compare that to this. Isaiah 14, verse 12. This is the, the same thing that Philippians, those verses in Philippians are to Jesus. These are the verses of Lucifer. Watch. Verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And yet, you shall be brought down to hell and to the lowest depths of the pit. We have this passage in Philippians and we have this passage in Isaiah and we see Jesus and we see Lucifer Thy will, my will, submission, ambition, a servant, a serpent, Lucifer was a rebel that became the devil. So submission makes me like one and rebellion makes me like another. Jesus said, Thy will. Satan said, my will. 
Jesus said, I will descend. Satan said, I will ascend. Jesus said, I will humble myself. Satan said, I will exalt myself. Jesus said, I will become obedient. Satan said, I will become God. But Satan is cast down to the lowest pit of hell and Jesus is exalted above the highest heaven, above every name that is named and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. I submit is how I become like Jesus. How is Christ formed in a man like me? By yielding my will and submitting my life. And there is pain in the process. As a matter of fact, we read in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however... It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Training. Training is not easy. There's pain when we train. There's, I mean, whether it be on a, learning a skill or, a, or getting better at anything, in the training, that process, it's after the training. There's pain in the process. And this is why James would say to us, in chapter 1 and verse 2, my brethren and sistren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. What? Trials, you know, the, heart, the temptations, trouble. What? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing, knowing that the testing of your faith Produces patience. Ah. But let patience have its perfect work that you may become perfect. There's that word again. That's that word that Jesus, that's the same word that, ex that explains what happened to Jesus when he learned obedience to the things he suffered. That you may become perfect and complete, lacking nothing. The word perfect means full grown, mature, and complete in your moral character. We do not start out like that. That is a process. Count it joy? Why? Because we are trained in our trials. What's going on here, Lord, training? Count it all joy. Why? Because in our struggle, we are made strong. Like the little cocoon with the caterpillar the struggle of coming out of that, the struggle, the, the struggle. Uh, if you've ever watched it on a National Geographic, or you, you just, it's amazing to watch. You just feel sorry. You feel so sorry for that caterpillar. You just want to go over there and help him out. You just want to, but there's this struggle and you're going, man, this is hard. This is hard. But when the struggle is over, there is a transformation. Count it all joy? Why? Because 
I'm formed in the furnace. We grow as we grapple. We read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 and 6. Likewise, you younger people, which is, in my case right now, just about everybody else in the whole world. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God resists the proud, the rebellious, the independent spirit, the my way, my will. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. The word submit means to come under, under. And the more you submit under authority, the more authority you have in your life, the more authority you have. So, so Jesus is in Capernaum, and a centurion, a Roman centurion, a Gentile, Roman oppressor centurion with at least 100 soldiers comes to Jesus, and he says that he has a servant that's paralyzed and in pain. He uses those words. I have a servant that's paralyzed and in pain. And Jesus said, I will come and I will heal him. But the centurion said, oh, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. His servant was in his house and he said, I'm not worthy for you to come into my house. Look, just standing right here, right where you are, just speak the word. Just speak the word. And here's, here's what he says in Matthew 8 and verse 9. He says, for I also am a man under authority. I also. So you and me have this in common. I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my servant, do this. And he does it. See, you can be a man in authority or you can be a man under authority. Either one. They're both options for you and for me. If he is in authority, then it is the centurion that is speaking. But if he is under authority, then it is Caesar that is speaking. I choose not to be a man in authority. I choose to be a man under authority. Under authority. I have protection, I have correction, I have direction, and I have more authority than I could ever have if I was in authority. 
And you know that's how Carol and I came to Australia in 1987. We came under authority. We were very happy serving the church in Arizona and our pastor who we loved. We'd sown our life there with him in the ministry. And he asked us to come. He had a vision of taking our church in Arizona and expanding it to Australia. And from Australia, expanding it and planting churches all over the world. This was in his heart. This was a vision from God. And he asked us if we would, if we would come to Australia. And, and we came because he asked. You know, there is went and there is sent. Some said, oh, well, Jack and Carol went to Australia. Not true. Not so. That did not happen. Jack and Carol were sent to Australia. We came not in, but under authority. We came with covering, with correction, protection, and direction. Not in authority. I can live my life, and anyone can. I can live my life in authority. Or I can live my life under authority. When the centurion told Jesus that he was also a man under authority. So, another, so if, if the centurion's in authority, it's his, it's, he's speaking. It's his rank. He's speaking. If he's under authority, it's Rome that's speaking. It's Caesar that's speaking. It's way more than just him. And he recognized Jesus also was a man under authority. And that when Jesus spoke, it was God that was speaking. And when he said this, Jesus looked at him and turned around at his disciples and the Pharisees and all the teachers of the law. And Jesus makes this amazing statement. In Matthew 8, 10, when Jesus heard this, oh, no, sir, no, sir, I'm a man like you under authority. Just speak the word. You don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word. I'm under authority, too. When Jesus heard this, he was surprised. The King James Version said he marveled. You know, like, that's what we do for superheroes, right? We marvel. He marveled. And Jesus said to the people following him, I tell you, I have never found anyone in Israel with faith like this. Now, you're free to do what you want to do. You can go and be, and we have, we're all free. But I'm going to live my life under. You know, about five months ago, I was up in Tamworth, and I received a phone call from Phil Douglas. And Phil said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, a, a door has opened for Amanda and I and the kids to go up to Arnhem Land and, and to work up there on the mission field. He said, but pastor, I don't want to pursue it until I know in your heart that I just want to, I just want to submit it to you as my pastor. And of course, I got excited. I said, Phil, this, this looks fantastic. Let me just say something to you. Phil and Amanda did not went They've been sent. They have not gone to Arnhem Land in authority. They've gone under authority. Under authority. That's how I've chosen to live my life. I submit 
is not an easy thing to say, but it is one of the most powerful things you can ever say.